Take your Bibles out and turn with me this morning. Acts chapter 2, as we jump back in our series on the uh, book of Acts that we started several weeks back. And uh, I want us to look this morning at the topic, God's means of working and giving birth to the church. Acts chapter 2, verses 1 to 41, God's means of working and giving birth to the church. As, as you find your place in your copy of God's Word, I just want to echo what was said earlier about those who gave of their time and talents and efforts uh, working in Vacation Bible School this week. Uh, it was tremendous to just be able to uh, sit in here some and see what was going on with the youth and be in the children's wing. And most of the week I spent over in the chapel and uh, in the adult class. And uh, man, what a tremendous uh, series Joel Alley did. Uh, an apologetics series, Defending the Faith. Of course, that was the theme of this week's VBS First uh, Peter 3.15, being ready to give a defense of the, the hope that is within you. Uh, Joel, just he did a phenomenal job with that. Um, he's an IT guy, was with Microsoft, now with TIA Craft. Uh, but despite being in the business world, uh, goes to seminary over in Charlotte, studies a lot of apologetics just so he can be enriched in his own life and be able to to better communicate God's Word. So, man, what a blessing to be in his class uh, this week. But uh, thank you for all of those who taught and what you did uh, during VBS. And now pray as we continue to do follow-up uh, with those who, who attended and those who made decisions. Uh, would you stand for the reading of God's Word? We'll uh, begin reading in verse 1. Luke writes, when the day of Pentecost arrived, they were all together in one place. And suddenly there came from heaven a sound like a mighty rushing wind. And it filled the entire house where they were sitting. And divided tongues as a fire appeared to them and rested on each one of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. Now there were dwelling in Jerusalem Jews, devout men from every nation under heaven. And at this sound the multitude came together and they were bewildered because each one was hearing them speak in his own language. And they were amazed and astonished saying, are not all these who were speaking Galileans? And how is it that we hear each one of us in his own native language? Parthians and Medes and Elamites and residents of Mesopotamia, Judea and Cappadocia, Pontus and Asia, Phrygia and Pamphylia, Egypt and the parts of Libya belonging to Cyrene and visitors from Rome. Both Jews and proselytes, Cretans and Arabians, we hear them telling in our own tongues the mighty works of God. And all were amazed and perplexed, saying to one another, What does this mean? But others mocking said they are filled with new wine. But Peter, standing with the eleven, lifted up his voice and addressed them, Men of Judea and all who dwell in Jerusalem, let this be known to you and give ear to my words. For these people are not drunk, as you suppose, since it's only the third hour of the day. I wonder what Peter would say if he visited America today. But this is what was uttered through the prophet Joel. And in these last days it shall be, God declares, that I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. And your sons and your daughters shall prophesy and your young men shall see visions and your old men shall dream dreams. Even on my male servants and female servants in those days I will pour out my spirit and they shall prophesy. And I will show wonders in the heavens above and signs on the earth below, blood and fire and vapor and smoke. The sun shall be turned to darkness and the moon to blood before the day of the Lord comes, the great and magnificent day. And it shall come to pass that everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Men of Israel, hear these words. 
Jesus of Nazareth, a man attested to you by God with mighty works and wonders and signs that God did through him in your midst, as you yourselves know, this Jesus delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God, you crucified and killed by the hands of lawless men. God raised him up, loosing the pangs of death because it was not possible for him to be held by it. Now look down at verse 36. Let all the house of Israel therefore know for certain that God has made him both Lord and Christ. This Jesus whom you crucified. Now when they heard this they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, Brothers, what shall we do? And Peter said to them, Repent and be baptized every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. For the promises for you and for your children and for all who are far off, everyone whom the Lord our God calls to himself. And with many other words, he bore witness and continued to exhort them, saying, Save yourselves from this crooked generation. So those who received his word were baptized, and there were added that day about 3,000 souls. Father, we thank you for these wonderful words included in the canon of Scripture. Words that tell us about the coming of the Holy Spirit and the birthday of the church. Lord, we thank you for what we see here that took place in the lives of your people. Lord, we know that as they went out to be bold witnesses to a pre-Christian generation, as many are writing of America today, we're no longer a Christian nation, but a post-Christian nation. And as such, we face many of the challenges that the early disciples did. Lord, may we be encouraged by their example. May may we follow in their footsteps. May your Holy Spirit fill us and use us. Lord, all around us there are people who need to know the greatest news of all. And it's your plan to use us. Lord, help us to tell the good news. I pray for that one here this morning who may need... Uh, to hear it in his heart for the first time and turn away from his sins and turn to Christ, that you would give him courage to do that, that your Holy Spirit would work in his or her heart even as you did in this multitude. Lord, be with the preaching of your word. Hide me behind the cross. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. This week in the nation, we, we all know that we're celebrating Friday, a very important day. And uh, that day, of course, is the 238th birthday of our nation. And folks, we can be gr- uh, very grateful for those who have gone before us and made tremendous sacrifices for this country. But today, this is not the focus that I want to take. As important as our nation is, we began a few weeks ago a series on the church and the mission of the church. I've entitled this series, the overall series, uh, Good News for the World, because that's exactly what the gospel is. The gospel is good news for the world. Now the question I want us to think about a moment, however, is how does God plan to get this good news to the world? If the gospel is indeed good news for the world, and certainly it is, how does he plan to get the good news to the world? Now we know the answer to that. If you're even mildly acquainted With your Bible, you know that his plan is to use his people, to use the church to get the gospel to the nations. And what makes up the church? Is the church the bricks and the mortar and the sheetrock and and the pews and the concrete that we see here? No, of course not. The church is you and I. 
the bride of Christ, the people of God. We are the the ones that make up the church. And folks, the church is the one thing that the Lord Jesus promised to bless and to build. Now as grateful as we are for our nation and as grateful as you and I might, might be for a number of things in our lives, the one thing that Jesus promised to build and to bless was the church. Listen to what Jesus said about that in Matthew 16. It says, Now, when Jesus came into the district of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, Who do people say that the Son of Man is? And they said, Some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, and others Jeremiah or one of the prophets. He said to them, But who do you say that I am? Simon Peter replied, You're the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus answered him, Blessed are you, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. And I tell you, you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. Now folks, as we think about the church today in America, According to one website, if that website is accurate, there are approximately 450,000 congregations in America. And the average attendance in those congregations on a given Sunday morning is about 75 people. In fact, it's said that there are more churches in America than there are convenience stores, fast food restaurants, and hotels and motels all put together. Now, of course, we know that's somewhat of a moving target because every week there are new church plants coming into existence. There are, there are churches that are closing their doors, and, and there are house churches, and sometimes it's very hard to get statistics or figures on those. And, and so to say almost a half a million congregations, we've got to realize that's something of a moving target. But as we turn to Acts chapter 2 this morning, what I want you to notice is we see the beginning of it all. And so if you love history, you've got to love Acts chapter 2 because Acts chapter 2 is history in the making. It's the beginning of the church. Acts chapter 2 is the beginning of this ecclesia, this assembly that God calls the church. And one of the things that is so wonderful to see here about the beginning of the church is who it is that Christ used. He used ordinary men and women just like you and just like me. In fact, in Acts 4.13 it says they they were unlearned and ignorant men. Now that doesn't mean they were stupid. It just means that they were unlettered. They didn't have all the, the university degrees of that day. They weren't the power brokers of the day, the business leaders and the political leaders. They were just ordinary men and women. And yet as you read through the book of Acts, it is absolutely incredible what God did through them. And that's the secret. The secret is that they did it by God's power. They were consumed with His message and they were filled with His power. And that's the key. We see this morning it's not by might or by power. It's not by human power or wisdom, but it's by His Spirit. God uses ordinary men and women just like us. And as we take the word of the Lord to the masses, filled with the power of His Spirit, folks, it's incredible what God can do through His people. Now the first thing I want you to notice with me this morning is the coming of the Spirit. The coming of the Spirit. In verse 1 it says, When the day of Pentecost arrived, they were all together in one place, and suddenly there came from heaven a sound like a mighty rushing wind, and it filled the entire house where they were sitting and divided tongues as a fire appeared to them and rested on each one of them. This was the coming of the Spirit. Now, I don't want you to think that this is the beginning of the Holy Spirit in the Scripture. You see, the Holy Spirit is God. He's the third person of the Trinity. He 
he is as much God as God the Father or God the Son. And that means he's sovereign God, eternal God. He's always existed. There's never been a time that he was not. And likewise, this is not the beginning of his work either. In fact, from the very opening page of the Bible in Genesis 1 Uh, Two, it says that the Spirit of God was hovering over the surface of the waters. And so all the way back in the beginning of our Bibles, the Holy Spirit was working. He was also working uh, in the the Old Testament. But Acts chapter 2 marks out a different way that the Holy Spirit begins to work in the New Covenant day. The New Testament period. What we see him doing from this point on is being present and active in every single believer. Now that's exactly what Jesus promised. Take your Bibles and turn with me back a moment please to John chapter 16. And let's begin reading in verse 5 of John chapter 16 to see what Jesus said about the coming of the Spirit. He said, but now I'm going to him who sent me and none of you ask me where are you going. But because I've said these things to you, sorrow has filled your heart. Nevertheless, I tell you the truth, it is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the helper will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. And when he comes, now I want you to notice what Jesus said he would do. When he comes, verse 8, he will convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment. Concerning sin because they do not believe in me. Concerning righteousness, because I go to the Father and you will see me no longer. Concerning judgment, because the ruler of this world is judged. I still have many things to say to you, but you cannot bear them now. When the Spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all truth, for he will not speak on his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak, and he will declare to you the things that are to come." He will glorify me, for he will take what is mine and declare it to you. All that the Father has is mine. Therefore, I said that he will take what is mine and declare it to you. And so we see there that Jesus said the Holy Spirit would be the one who would comfort us. He'd be the one to strengthen us. He teaches us. He convicts us. And he glorifies Jesus Christ. Now folks, this is God's new way of uh, of God's presence in man. You see, in the Old Testament, God would anoint certain people at certain times with the Holy Spirit for a particular task. But in the New Testament, every single believer is given the Holy Spirit. In fact, Paul says to the Corinthians in 1 Corinthians 12, 3, no one can even say that Jesus Christ is Lord except by the Holy Spirit. Paul in Ephesians 1 says the Holy Spirit is God's seal of ownership on you. When you come to faith in Him, God's seal that you belong to Him. Jesus said to Nicodemus, That to be born again means that you have a spiritual birth from above of the Spirit. So what I'm saying is the New Testament teaches that every single believer is baptized with the Holy Spirit at the moment of their conversion. Listen to what Warren Wiersbe says of this. The baptism of the Spirit means that I belong to His body. Now the fullness of the Spirit means that my body belongs to Him. The baptism is final. The fullness, however, is repeated as we trust God for new power to witness. Now folks, what a unique moment this was in Acts chapter 2 for God to send His Spirit. What a marvelous day. What a symbolic day the day of Pentecost was. 
Pentecost was one of the three main festivals that every single male Israelite was expected to attend. The other two festivals were the Feast of Passover and the Feast of Tabernacles. And again, Pentecost was one of the three everybody was supposed to attend. It was to take place 50 days after Passover. It's sometimes referred to in the Bible as the Feast of Weeks because on the second day of Passover, they were to count out from there seven weeks or 49 days and then present their offerings of new grain to the Lord. And so you take the second day of Passover, day two, 49 more days, you come to the 50th day, and that's when they would make their offerings to God. Pentecost literally means 50th. Now, at Pentecost, the Jew in the Old Testament celebrated the first fruits of the harvest. It would be a time of thanksgiving where they would bring some of their harvest in and they would recognize God as the giver of all good gifts. Now, God's instructions of Pentecost went all the way back to the books of Exodus and Leviticus. They would take loaves of bread and grain and celebrate the first fruits of the harvest. And traditionally, they would take out the Old Testament book of Ruth and they would read Ruth. Now, the Jews also tied this in with the giving of the law. They believe it corresponded to the time that Moses went up on the mountain. He received there the law, the Ten Commandments. Uh, from God and and Moses came down and gave the, the people the Ten Commandments. And so it's customary among the Jews that on the first night of Pentecost they stay up all night long and they read and they study the Torah, the law of God. Now folks, I want you to think about all the symbolism of what's going on here. You see, all of those feasts and festivals and all of those sacrifices in the Old Testament, they pointed forward to something. They pointed forward to the new covenant. They pointed forward to what God was going to do through His Son, Jesus Christ. We can see New Testament truth in every one of those Old Testament festivals. Now think with me a moment about Pentecost. Again, they celebrated Moses going up on the mountain and coming down with the law of God. At Pentecost, what God is going to do is Jesus Christ has ascended to the Father and 50 days later, He sends His Spirit down. He gives His Spirit. And Pentecost was the festival of first fruits, celebrating the first fruits. So here are all of these Jews from all over the Roman Empire back then. They've traveled in to celebrate uh, Pentecost together. And as God sends His Spirit down and the, the apostles preach the good news about Jesus Christ, little do they know that 3,000 of those in the crowd are about to be the first fruits of the gospel. So it's very meaningful what's going on here. Now in verse 1, we're told that they were all together in one place. They were in in a house, perhaps the upper room where they'd been staying. And boy, that says something wonderful to us too, doesn't it? Every time believers gather together for worship, there is the potential that God is going to do something great in our midst. All the great revivals, all the periods of awakening, great movements of God happen when the people of God get together. And that's why Hebrews 10, 25 says, You and I are not to forsake the assembling of ourselves together, as is the habit of some, but we're to meet one another. And as we do, we're to stir one another up to love and good deeds. And all the more as you see the day approaching. Those great things happen when God's people meet together. 
I was reading this week the testimony of, of one of our leaders at, at uh, Lifeway back when it was the Sunday school boy. And he was a teenage boy at Hyde Park Baptist Church in Austin, Texas. One of our big Baptist churches. And Dr. Jack McGorman, a professor at Southwestern Seminary, was the associate pastor at the time. They were without a pastor. It was the Sunday night uh, service. And at the end of the service, after Dr. McGorman gave the invitation, he had everybody be seated because he wanted to speak a moment to the congregation they were a troubled congregation and he, and he talked to them about how they needed to come together for prayer they needed to get right with God and then with one another they needed to pray about who God was going to send them as their pastor all of a sudden a man in the choir stood up and he said pastor can I take a moment to share and he pointed out a man in the congregation and he confessed his sins to that man his sin against that man and he went over to him and he embraced him and suddenly people all over that church started doing that well revival broke out at at 1.30 on Monday morning, the Sunday night service concluded. And when it concluded at 1.30 on Monday morning, there were more people in attendance than had been in attendance when the Sunday night service had begun. Great things can happen when God's people meet together. And here they are. They're meeting together and God is about to do something mighty and wonderful. They're waiting. They're waiting in obedience to Christ. They're doing exactly what he had commanded them to do. Verse 2 says they heard a mighty rushing wind. Now folks in the Bible, wind oftentimes symbolized the presence of God. I think of Ezekiel 37, the valley of dry bones. God told Ezekiel to prophesy to those bones and as he did all of a sudden he heard the wind, he heard the noise and and those bones started coming together and all of a sudden a mighty army for God stood up. Wind, symbol of God's presence. And also in the Old Testament we know that fire was another one of the symbols of God's presence. In Exodus chapter 3 there was Moses tending to his father-in-law's uh, flocks and, and there was a, bur- uh, a bush burning but not being consumed and the Bible says Moses turned aside to see this thing and as he turned aside God began speaking to him and God began moving so in the Old Testament wind and fire symbols of God's presence and that's exactly what's going on here symbols that they would have recognized and acknowledged from their Old Testament history. Now I want you to notice it says when the Holy Spirit came on them, He fell on all of them. Acts uh, chapter 1 tells us that there were 120 meeting together in the upper room and the Bible says here that the Holy Spirit fell on all of them, not just the leaders, not just Peter and James and John or the apostles, but the Holy Spirit came on all of them. And as He came on all of them, what did they begin to do? They began to be witnesses. Fulfillment of Acts, the beginning of the fulfillment of Acts chapter 1-8. Where Jesus said, wait, wait for the Holy Spirit. When the Holy Spirit comes on you, you'll be filled with Him. And when you're filled with Him, then you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, to the uttermost ends of the earth. And so this is the beginning of the fulfillment of Acts 1-8. I want you to notice what they began doing. They began speaking in tongues. Now don't get all excited about that because beginning in verse 5 we're told here what tongues are. It was other languages. Now how do we know that it was other languages? Because again here's this multitude that's come in from all over the Roman world. They've come back for the festival of Pentecost. They've moved out into other parts of the world, started speaking the languages of those nations And the gospel starts being preached to them in those languages. One of the commentary, one of one of the five or six must-have commentaries on the book of Acts would be the commentary by I.H. Marshall, one of the leading scholars on Luke and Acts. He talks about what some scholars say about this and he's not saying this, he's just repeating what others. I read his words and I thought, you know, how what 
What dumb comments some scholars can make. Some are saying, you know what? Since they all would have spoken Greek and Aramaic just like the disciples, they're skeptic about all these tongues being spoken. Why was the need of all these tongues? And so some New Testament scholars are skeptical about this and they miss the whole theological point of what's going on here. The gospel is to go out to all nations in the church age, to all tribes and peoples and languages. And so God was giving a little foretaste on the day of Pentecost what was to happen. He was letting all these people from the other nations hear the gospel in their own language. And he's also telling us that that's the goal of our missions and ministry. We're to take the gospel to all languages because everybody needs Jesus. In other words, our ministry is not to be national or regional, but international. Also, some try to say that the miracle was in the hearing, that they all spoke one language and then between it coming out of their mouth and landing on the ears of all those who were gathered, God changed it into different languages. That would have been a miracle too, but that's not what the Bible says here. The Bible says they were speaking in other languages. What happened? The coming of the Spirit. A new work of the Holy Spirit is being marked off here at at the beginning of the church. That every single believer will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. Now we need to be filled. Paul said in Ephesians 5, Be ye being filled with the Spirit. We're not always filled with the Spirit very well. But we're baptized in the Spirit when we come to faith in Jesus Christ. And the Spirit enables us to do the ministry that God's called us to do. Second thing I want you to see beginning in verse 5 after seeing the coming of the Spirit, is secondly, the work of the Spirit. The work of the Spirit. And I want you to think back to that passage in John uh, chapter 16 we read a moment ago. Remember how Jesus said the Holy Spirit would glorify Him? That's exactly what He's doing here. Verse 11 says that they were speaking of the mighty deeds of God and then with the example of Peter preaching, Peter is doing what? Peter is lifting up Jesus. You know, a lot of people in places claim to be spirit-filled. Some say, oh, you know what you need to do? You need to come to my Bible study. We're spirit-filled. You need to come to my You need to join my choir. We're spirit-filled. But you know what the sign in the New Testament of being spirit-filled is? That we will make much of Jesus. You see, there's been an awfully lot of abuses in modern-day Christianity about what it means to be spirit-filled. Some claim all to be spirit-filled. They'll say, look, look what's happening in our city, in our church. We come to church, we're spirit-filled, and everybody drops down on all fours and starts crawling around and barking like a dog. Or holy laughter movements or all these crazy type of things. Are you kidding me? Do you actually think when the Holy Spirit comes on you, He's going to have you do something like get down on all fours and bark like a dog? If He wanted you barking like a dog, He'd have made you to be a basset hound or something. (laughs) When the Holy Spirit comes on us, He enables us to make much of Jesus. He enables us to be a witness The very thing that he's commanded us to do in the Great Commission. And then we know too that in the church the Holy Spirit gives all the different gifts. He brings all the different gifts of the body together so that we can function better as a church. As we function better as a church together through the gifts of the Spirit we're able to magnify the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and be a witness to Christ in our community and beyond. So don't believe these crazy stories you hear about what some people say is a sign of of the filling of the Spirit. We have right here an example of it. 
And I want you to look with me at verse 14 at what Peter uh, begins doing here in verse 14 because you see Peter is exhibit A of what it means to be filled with the Spirit. He stands up and begins boldly proclaiming about Christ. Now contrast this. Before I move on with this, I I, want to push the pause button for a minute and just have you think back in your mind about Simon Peter back in the Gospels. Remember at the end of the Gospels when Jesus was arrested? Jesus said, all of you are going to scatter. And that's what they did. Peter said, Lord, not me. I'm not going to scatter. I'll stay with you to the end. And he said, Peter, I tell you, you're going to deny me three times. Well, that's exactly what happened. Peter got in a, uh, he was there in the garden. Jesus got arrested. He followed at a distance. He got in a courtyard, was warming himself there with the accusers of Jesus, all the crowd that had, was there when Jesus was arrested. And one of the young ladies there said, I know you, you're one of them. And Peter said, no, I'm not. Others kept saying, you're one of them. No, I'm not. The Bible says he even started cursing to try to, throw off the the lead that he was a follower of Christ. They kept on one more time. You're one of the followers of Christ. No, I'm not. And the Bible says in that instance, he remembered the words of Jesus. Peter, you're going to deny me three times before the cock crows twice. And that's what happened. And so what's the image of Peter at the end of the Gospels? He is a fearful man. He's running. He's hiding. He's anything but bold. But then once the Spirit comes on Peter in Acts chapter 2, here Peter is out in the streets, out in the open, and he's making much of Jesus. He's boldly proclaiming Jesus to the point in Acts chapter 4, they tell him to quit preaching in the name of Christ. And he says, we've got to obey God rather than men. He is a bold witness of Christ. A very different man than he was in the Gospels. And I want you to notice what he begins doing in verse 17. He says, this is what the the Lord told about in, in the book of Joel. In the last days, God declares that he would pour out his spirit. What Peter is beginning to do is connect the dots. Remember again what Jesus said in John 16 about the spirit. When he comes, he will be your helper and your teacher. He's opening Peter's mind here to the Scripture. Peter is connecting all the dots of the Scripture for those who are listening. It's exactly what the Holy Spirit said that he would do. And look at verse 22. He says, Men of Israel, hear these words. Jesus of Nazareth, a man attested to you by God with mighty works and wonders and signs that God did through him in your midst as you yourselves know. This Jesus... Uh, delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God. You crucified and killed by the hands of lawless men, but God raised them up, loosing the pains of death because it was not possible for him to be held by it. Again, he's magnifying Christ. Why does the Spirit of God use a man of God to preach the Word of God? Because the Bible says faith comes by hearing and hearing by the Word of God. Paul said in 1 Corinthians 1.18 and following, he said, we preach Christ, we, we, we preach the cross. And, and he said, preaching is the means that God has chosen to save those who believe. He went on to explain, he said, For since in the wisdom of the world, in the wisdom of men, men have not come to know God. It was God's plan through the foolishness of preaching to save those who believe. Why Paul said to the Romans in Romans 1, I'm not ashamed to come to you who are at Rome. In fact, I'm eager to make my journey to Rome and and preach the gospel to you who are at Rome. I'm a debtor to both Jews and Greeks. I'm ready to come to you and preach for, for the gospel is the power of God unto salvation to all who believe, to the Jew first, then to the Gentile. It is God's plan. 
for the Holy Spirit to take a man or a woman and to preach the gospel, lifting up Jesus Christ. And by the way, when it talks about preaching the gospel, it's not just talking about standing behind a pulpit here. The word here being used for for preaching the gospel, making it known, can be used of you sitting down this week at work at lunchtime with one of your co-workers and telling them about Jesus. Folks, that's God's plan. God's plan of people coming to Christ and growing in Christ is that we would stand up just as Peter is doing here, that we would take the word of God and we would make much of Jesus and we would testify to what God has done in and through Christ. This is exhibit A of what God wants to do. And notice what it is that Peter is doing. He's saying, in the last days. Again, connecting those dots. Because the Bible says in Hebrews 1 that whereas God has spoken to us in times past in many various ways, in these last days He's spoken to us through His Son. You see, the Son is the fulfillment of everything we read in our Bible. Everything we, that scarlet thread of redemption all through your Bible, where does it come to a head? Where does it come to a climax? It comes to a climax in the person and work of Christ. God's speaking to us in these last days through His Son. We've been in the last days that means since the, from the incarnation of Christ all the way to now, more than 2,000 years. We've been in the last days. It's called last days because there's not some other testament. We have our Old Testament fulfilled in the New Testament. There's not another chapter. There's not another testament coming. What God is doing in the world today, He's doing through Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ is what the Bible is all about. And that's why Peter is lifting up Jesus. Folks, I want you to think with me a moment about this great redemption story. Think about the story of the Bible and what it is that we have to share and how we need to focus in on Christ. Our first parents, God put them in a perfect place. Perfect place. Provided everything they needed. But something went desperately wrong. And that's something the Bible calls sin. They disobeyed God, just like you and I disobey God. And the Bible says that sin not only became a part of humanity, but became a part of the whole created order. This perfect creation became a fallen world. And that's why these disasters and tragedies, even in nature, happen because we're a part of a fallen world. We're a fallen people in a fallen world where bad things happen even to seemingly good people, who we would call good people. But has God left us here? No. You see, there's a rescue mission. And that rescue mission began in the Old Testament. All those sacrifices that they would offer, and those sacrifices would would not take away sin, but merely cover sin for one more year until that sacrifice would be offered again. And all those sacrifices pointed to what God was going to do through His Son. God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son. His Son would die on the cross, shed His blood as the perfect sacrifice. That's a sacrifice that doesn't need to be done over again. That was the perfect and complete sacrifice that doesn't just cover our sin or atone for our sin, but it takes sin away, sin past, present, and future. And then one day, God is... Part of this story is the restoration. God is making all things new. God is forming a redeemed people who will be with Him in eternity in a perfect place called heaven. That's God's story. And it's not, the question is not where does God fit into my story, it's where do I fit into God's story. 
And God's story is all about Jesus Christ. John the Baptist, when he saw Jesus, said, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away all the sin of the world. Folks, that is why the apostles made much of Jesus. And the Bible is pointing out here, when when you and I, get saved, when, the, when this spiritual birth happens in us and we're baptized with the Spirit, if we're filled with the Spirit, then what we're supposed to be doing is making much of Christ, telling others about Jesus. That's the work of the Spirit. I like what evangelist Gypsy Smith said on one occasion. He said, I'm not afraid of the cross. I know that men used to come there to die, but now men come there to live. Preaching Jesus. And then through this, the third thing I want you to see with me is the making of the people of God. The making of the people of God. Verse 37 says, Now when they heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, Brothers, what shall we do? And Peter said to them, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit for the promise is for you and for your children and for all who are far off, everyone whom the Lord our God calls to himself. And with many other words he bore witness and continued to exhort them, saying, Save yourselves from this crooked generation. So those who received his word were baptized and they were added that day about 3,000 souls. What happened? What happened? The very thing, again, that Jesus in John 16 said would happen. When the Holy Spirit comes... He'll teach you, those who know Him, He'll teach you and fill you. He'll be your helper and comforter. And and He exalts Christ. So if He's in me or He's in you, we're exalting Christ. But what else is the Holy Spirit doing? Jesus said He would bring conviction. And so He's using Peter at Peter's end of the process. And then the Holy Spirit is also at work in the multitude who is listening. You see, we can only speak to ears. It takes God to speak to hearts and bring conviction. And that's what the Holy Spirit is doing here. He is drawing men and women in this multitude at this Pentecost festival. He is drawing this multitude to faith in Christ And he's forming a new body of believers. The church. The church. He's making God's new people. The church. Folks, you see how marvelous this chapter is? The Spirit comes. He falls on them. They preach about Jesus. Through that, God forms a new people of God, the church. Again, it's just like back in Ezekiel. God took a man of God preaching the word of God and the power of the spirit of God. And through that, he formed a new people of God. A man of God preaching the word of God in the spirit of God. And a new people of God are formed. That's what he's doing in Acts 2. And it's a testimony to us. It's a model for our ministry. That it's only through the power of the Spirit can we do what he's called us to do. Ministry is not by our wisdom or our might or our power. It's by the Spirit. For supernatural work, we need supernatural power. And it's God's plan to take ordinary people just like you and just like me and as we go out of these doors to a corrupt and dying generation, a lost generation who doesn't know Christ, we share the Word of God. We share about Jesus in the power and help of the Holy Spirit. And some will believe. And when they believe, God adds them to the church.
Right here is the model. The model of all ministry now. The model. Pentecost, what happened there? One time event, one time event with ongoing application to the church. Spirit came like this one time in these tongues of fire. He's with us now as his body of believers. And we go out lifting up Jesus. As we lift up Jesus, he cuts on the lights in those who hear some and they're added to the church. That's the exciting work you and I get to be a part of today. It's God's work. We're not, we don't do it. He does it through us. Just like Luke said at the beginning of the Gospel of Luke, the Gospel of Luke is the beginning of what Jesus did. And in Acts, Luke says, this is the continuing story of what Jesus does. It's the continuing story of what he does through us. A couple of things I want you to understand this morning in closing. Number one, if you are a believer, if you are a believer, you have the Spirit. You wouldn't be a believer, you wouldn't be redeemed or a child of God without having the Spirit. You have the Spirit. Doesn't mean we're always filled with the Spirit. Again, Paul said, be ye being filled. God wants to do His work through you and through me. Takes away all excuses. Can't say, Lord, I'm not good enough. I'm not smart enough. I'm not strong or powerful enough. It's not by us. It's by Him. So what excuses are you using? Lay those excuses aside. Because it's God's Spirit working through us. Is that happening? If it's happening, what it looks like is that you and I in this church family are making much of Jesus. If you and I are spirit-led and spirit-filled, we're making much of Jesus. We're witnesses of Christ. That's what he said we would be, witnesses. Now, he's responsible for the harvest. We can't control that. It's not our job to try to talk somebody in or persuade them in, into becoming a Christian. We testify about Jesus, and as we do, some believe. But you and I are to be witnesses. And if we're walking in the Spirit, we're witness. If we're not a witness, it's a sign. We're not walking in the Spirit like we're supposed to be. Are you grieving the Spirit today? Are you quenching the Spirit? Is there some sin in your life, some disobedience in your life that you need to deal with? Because the Spirit is a person. He can be quenched. He can be grieved. Deal with that sin. Every day be surrendered and yielded to Him. That you can be filled. And you can be a witness for Christ. It's not complicated. It's God's plan. It's God's plan. And the Spirit came on all of them. It's not for a few. It's for all of us to be a witness. Would you stand please? Our hymn of invitation is going to be on the screens. Is there some sin that you need to deal with? Are you a bold witness for Christ? Don't try to say you're walking in the Spirit if you're not a witness for Christ. Again, a witness for Christ is as simple as sharing your testimony with somebody. Are you doing that? Am I doing that? Are we as a church family making much of Jesus?